Today's reading is from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to the end. Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher any more? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is it. And now you're all going to find out how I really feel about you. (laughs) Uh, This is a bittersweet moment, as Paulette said. I've been with you all for eight years, and you're all lovely, and have been so welcoming to us from day one in 2011. Um, let's take a minute to, to let this settle in and then I'll pray and we'll have some preaching. Jesus, stand among us in thy risen power. Let this time of worship be a hallowed hour. Breathe the Holy Spirit into every heart. Bid the fears and sorrows from each soul depart. Thus, with quickened footsteps, we'll pursue our way watching for the dawn of eternal day. Amen.
So how do we look at Christ? What is our frame for looking at Christ? What is our understanding of his power in our lives? This is the theme that we'll explore together over the next quarter of an hour or so. So as many of you definitely know at this point, today is my final Sunday with you. And it's eight years in the making, almost to the anniversary of the first time we turned up here. And then I went off to help Jane and Ginny and Vanessa and a bunch of other people with the 2011 Kickstarter Holiday Club. Kickstart Holiday Club. Some of you will have got to know me very well over the years, and some of you will have children or grandchildren who've been corrupted by my incessant love of Christ and my obsession with his duality of being, being fully God and fully man. Uh, some of you will also, you know, you might only know that I say funny things like offertory <laughs> and that I've been in and out of here a lot over the last year, dashing around between theological training and church placements, uh, finally culminating in Timmy and I moving to Margate in April, where I begin my curacy at Holy Trinity Church in Cliftonville one week from today. Rest assured, my time here will never be forgotten, and my formation here under the love and attention of Steve Coney's and Chris Skingley, Denise Critchell, Richard Braddy, Fabian Wotz, and an entire cast of people who don't wear white plastic collars in their shirts has proven invaluable in shaping my own experience of how I look at Christ. Last but not least, I can't leave Paulette out of this. I've known Paulette from probably day one about of being in this church. She was one of the first people I met and I'm blessed to have known her through her journey the same kind of journey I'm on. And she's now blessed by the love and support of this family here in this place to lead you all along this journey of getting to know Christ better in your own lives. So having said all that, let's take a look back to today's reading and think about my first question. How do we look at Christ? The painting on the screen is Christ of St. John of the Cross, and this is a painting by Salvador Dali made in 1951. It depicts Jesus Christ on the cross in a darkened sky floating above a body of water, complete with a boat and fishermen. Although it's a depiction of the crucifixion, it is devoid of nails, blood, and a crown of thorns because, according to Dali, he was convinced by a dream that these features would mar his depiction of Christ. Also in a dream, the importance of depicting Christ in the extreme angle evident in the painting was revealed to him. This is Dali's depiction of Christ, and its eeriness hints at something beyond rationality, or more than our minds can comprehend. It's caused controversy for over five decades. And it was still causing controversy when Timmy and I saw it in London two summers ago. And whether you like this painting or not, Dali has touched on something and almost summarized its essence. 
a feeling echoed in today's reading that may leave us uneasy or in a place beyond rationality, something beyond what our minds can comprehend. In today's gospel story, Jesus is on his way to heal a sick young girl. And on the road, a large crowd presses in around him. Can we have the next slide, Tom? Thank you. So a large crowd presses in around him, and a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years touches the hem of his cloak, and she's healed. And Jesus feels a physical power come out from him. He asks who did it, and the disciples get a bit sarcastic with him. Come on, Jesus. Who touched you in a crowd this size, really? But the woman fesses up, and Jesus blesses her. Her faith has made her well. Right, there's the subplot out of the way. Jesus was doing something. He got interrupted. He did something else. Now he can go back to healing the sick girl. But wait. News comes that during this time, she's died. So Jesus does the logical thing. The thing that's logical for Jesus, that is and reassures them that she's not dead, she's just asleep. That's greeted with laughter, and it's probably quite cynical laughter. But can you imagine how quickly that laughter stopped when she actually got up? Can you imagine the confusion when Jesus tells them to keep this whole raising the dead thing quiet? Or when his next instruction is to feed the girl? Have the next slide, please. This tends to be how I look at Christ. Did you see how much just happened in that short span of time? How many completely improbable things just happened? How much healing just went on? How many people, including Jesus' own disciples, didn't quite get what was going on or understand what Jesus Christ was capable of? That's the Christ I know, the completely unpredictable and incredibly compassionate one, the Christ who stops in the middle of doing something super important to give healing to somebody completely at random, the Christ who isn't angry at the woman's intrusion, but rather touched by her faith, the Christ who isn't willing to let a little girl die because he got tied up on the way there. The Christ who had just stepped off a boat the moment before this whole scene went down. When he was actually probably intending to teach the assembled crowd or eat or sit and have a drink with the locals or any number of other things that might actually have been on his agenda. He may have been tired. Jesus was fully God and fully man, remember? He may even have been hungry. His journey to Jairus' house may have taken quite a while, especially with a crowd pressing in around him. He may have had a headache or all sorts of other things going on, but he drops everything to go and heal. And this is exactly what he'd been doing in the previous story in Mark's Gospel, 
when he was getting into the boat on the other side of the lake. And before that, he'd been woken up in the night after a long day of teaching crowds to go and calm a storm for his disciples. There's so much to be said about this model that I will carry into my ministry. And indeed, it seems a bit of a God-inspired coincidence that this is the passage for my final Sunday with you. The Sunday before I am ordained into the Church of England. This passage reminds us of the unpredictability of Christ's approach to our rational way of thinking. The way we think about the world. It reminds us of the way Jesus could come into a situation and turn it completely upside down. This is a sign of unwavering interruptibility and compassion. The Christ of the moment, the Christ of the people, the Christ of history, and all of his completely inconceivable and mind-boggling practices. Could I have the next slide? So how do we look at Christ? How do we look at Christ? The Christ who loved little children and inspired a bunch of angry religious folk not to stone a sinful woman. The Christ who forgave Peter before Peter even denied knowing him. The Christ who cursed a fig tree for not bearing fruit. The Christ who ate with tax collectors and sinners. The Christ who told his disciples someone was going to betray him. Someone who was in the room and didn't out the guy who would have been stopped from doing it by the other people in that room. The Christ who took their sins and ours and Judas's and the guy who cut you off on the Thanet way getting here's and the lady in front of me who grabbed the last vegan sausage roll at Greg's yesterday and the guys who came up with Love Islands. You get the point. How do we see that Jesus Christ? How do we see that Jesus Christ in ourselves? How do we see that Jesus Christ in others? And how do we see that Jesus Christ in the church? Christ is a healer, patient pastor, Raiser of the dead, friend of the dodgy people, champion of the homeless, calmer of the storm, ever interruptible for someone in need, breaker of the power of sin and death, restorer of human beings to right relationships with God through his sacrifice made once for all on the cross. A sacrifice that's no less real than the one he made when his plans were interrupted to go and heal the sick the moment he stepped off a boat. A sacrifice no less fantastic than that of raising a young girl from death. A sacrifice which means we are all forgiven now 
and always for all of the very worst moments of who we are. By a God who sent his only son to live in the world, where he'd sometimes be so hungry that he got mad at a fig tree, but so compassionate that he'd drop everything to help someone in need. That's the Christ I see. That's the Christ I love. That's the Christ this church has helped to grow in me. I encourage you all to think this week about the question we began with. How do we look at Christ? How do we look at Christ? I'm going to conclude my final sermon with you with the wise words of Graham Kendrick. Jesus, stand among us at the meeting of our lives. Be our sweet agreement at the meeting of our eyes. O oh, Jesus, we love you, so we gather here. Join our hearts in unity and take away our fear. Amen. <laughs>